0: Well hey, good morning Riverside. Uh, My name is Ezra. I'm pastor uh, here and I'm grateful that I have a chance to uh, just come and share with you uh, this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles as uh, we prepare this morning. uh, In this time uh, while we've been uh, unable to meet and gather together and we've been doing online worship uh, we've shared a number of uh, messages from some scripture passages that just really speak into the situation that we're in about how to have hope and joy and, and to to look forward and to use this trial this season that we're in really uh, to experience Jesus more fully, to be made more and more into His image. And, uh, and so we've looked at a number of ways that, that God does that in trial and through trial uh, that we can experience a blessing even in trial. In fact, we looked a couple weeks ago at Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, and uh, when, when God was talking to the exiles, the, the nation of Israel, as they were exiled and He said, even in exile I want you to, to pursue blessing. I want you to, uh, to live and, and seek uh, to prosper in the, in the city where I've placed you and, and you can look ahead and hope in the future that I'm going to give you. And so we're, we're, we're continuing to look at this and say uh, it's really this, this overarching theme that almost makes us bulletproof that when we follow Jesus in the way that He intends, that there's nothing that we can go through that can separate us from Him. And there's nothing that we can go through that can put us in a position where we can't honor Him with our lives and experience His blessings. And so we're going to go really uh, deep into the source of what a blessed life looks like today as we begin uh, uh, this passage that opens the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon that He preached. And, uh, and in this, He opens the sermon uh, with this passage that's come to be known as the Beatitudes. Now that's a very churchy word. I don't remember the last time I used the word beatitude anywhere but in church. Uh, but it's really, it comes out of this root word that just means blessing. And so it's Jesus begins the sermon talking about these blessings. And so there might be this temptation to think, oh this is just a preamble, this is just kind of like a, hey blessings to you guys. Yeah. But no, it's, it's actually the heart of the entire Sermon on the Mount Uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is encapsulated in these opening verses. If you get these, these are the key to unlock everything else that Jesus shared. And so I'm so excited to share this uh, with you today. Uh, If you've turned to Matthew 5, we're just going to go through verse by verse today. Uh, We could almost go word by word. It's so rich and there's so much that I want to share with you. And so uh, let's pray and let's just jump into God's Word. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. Uh, to draw closer to you, to really pursue a blessed life, uh, to experience your real and true blessings that benefit us here and now and into eternity. Uh, just show us something of who you are. Show us your heart, Lord. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, uh, and ultimately open up our, our hearts uh, to receive what you're saying and to, to let it take root and to grow and to, to bear fruit in our lives. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, and so Matthew uh, chapter 5, man, uh, so powerful. And so beginning in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Once again, this, this feels like maybe just an introduction, just setting the scene, and in some ways it is, but, but also there's some power, even, even in this, that the, the crowds were gathered around Jesus, and these were the people that were just coming to see what they could get from Jesus. Hey, I want to see a miracle firsthand. I, I want to hear an amazing teaching. Uh, maybe he'll turn, uh, he'll do a miracle, and I'll get fed some bread and some fish. Like They wanted what they could get from Jesus. They were more interested in the blessings they could receive from him than Jesus himself. But then there were the disciples, those who were who were learning from Jesus, who were seeking to become like Him, to follow His example, uh, to to draw close to Him. And it says that He he, he drew up onto the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples, those who really wanted to learn from Him, came near to Him. My hope is that you're here this morning watching this uh, because you are a disciple, that you're a follower of Jesus, that you put your faith and your trust in Him, and you want to get closer to Him, and so you want to study His words uh, to understand how to live more and more uh, in His image, man. If that's you, I, I, I think God has some great things for you here today. But I also want to encourage you that maybe up to this point in your life, you've been a part of the crowd. You're you're somewhat interested in Jesus. You feel like maybe there's something there. Maybe there's some power. There's something you'd like to know better. But uh, but you haven't devoted your life to following Him. Well, my hope is that by the end of the the message today, that, that you'll be at a place where you're ready to make that commitment uh, to follow Him. But either way, I'm so glad if if a friend or a family member maybe forwarded this along to you. Uh, I believe that God has a reason and a purpose for wanting you to watch this and and to move you from the crowd uh, maybe a little bit closer to becoming a disciple uh, today and so let's draw near as the disciples did to, to hear the wisdom that Jesus has to share with us it says he opened his mouth and he taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I was an old school, old timey preacher, I'd say, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," right? But, um, but I'm not trying to be churchy with you. I'm trying to be real. And, and I don't know if I want to be blessed, but I definitely know that I want to be blessed. That's why I'm coming to God's word today. And so He says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Now, that seems an odd way to open open things up, right? That you're like, Jesus, uh, man, I thought you'd start on a high note, maybe. But, but this is really there's. It's very intentional by Jesus. He opens with this for good reason. It's because this is the most crucial of all of these blessings that he's going to share, this idea of being poor in spirit, a poverty of spirit. Uh, And and there's so many layers to what this ultimately means. And I just want to share a couple of what I think are the most powerful ways of understanding this that that God has revealed to me uh, to this point in my life uh, and there's two angles that I really want to focus in on. One is this idea of, of the, 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 the poverty, the poorness, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's, it's connecting with this idea of, of being uh, impoverished, of not having earthly goods, earthly things uh the the root word that, that, that poor comes from actually is this picture of being hunched over of being of being huddled down of of you just picture someone who's completely impoverished and they're just kind of like almost bent over by the weight of of their poverty uh and their brokenness um and you say, man, that doesn't sound like a great picture, right? The blessed are the poor in spirit, though. So it's, it's this spiritual sense in which we're connected to that. A.W. Tozer uh, was, a, was a pastor, a theologian, an author. Uh, he uh, wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and in it he devotes a whole chapter to what he calls the blessedness of possessing nothing. And, uh, man, such a powerful a powerful word. I'll put the link to, uh, to this book uh, in the notes today. It's available for free Uh, online, you can get the book and you could read it yourself if if this captivates you. But I just want to share a little bit about what Tozer Tozer said about the blessedness of possessing nothing. Um, He says, uh, and this is the words of Tozer, he says, The way to deeper knowledge of God is through the lonely valleys of soul poverty and abnegation of all things. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated every external thing and have rooted from their hearts all sense of possessing. These are the poor in spirit. They have reached an inward state paralleling the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets of Jerusalem. That is what the word poor, as Christ used it, actually means. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broken the yoke of the oppressor, and this they have done not by fighting, but by surrendering. Though free from all sense of possessing, they yet possess all things. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love what Tozer says there. He says that, it, that we don't fight for this. We actually enter into this by surrendering. It's actually this reality that we don't possess anything. And I think that's part of what God has been showing and teaching us through this trial, through this, uh, this time of quarantine and this, this pandemic. It's all these things that we thought we had control over in our life, our, our jobs, our wealth, our health. Uh, our, our relationships, all these things that we think that we have this illusion of control, but the reality is is that, um, that any of those things can be taken from us, that we don't really have it. And so the more that we tie and try and tightly grip it with our hands, uh, the more futile our effort. And so part of being poor in spirit is, is, is approaching life with an open hand and saying, God, uh, you give and you take away, and my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said when he went through his trials. Uh, that, that my hope is for you, and one of the things that I'm learning is that, that I need to, to live life with an open hand, that, to, to trust God, to just trust Him. God, my, my, my finances, my health, um, my family, who I love, I, I trust them because they're better in your hands than they are in mine. And my, my strength is so limited, but yours is unlimited. And so to trust Him in that way, it's a hard thing to do. That's what God called Abraham to do with his son Isaac. Uh, Abraham was, the, was, uh, was a man who God chose Uh, to be a blessing to all the nations. And he promised that even though he was way too old and his wife was way too old, that they would have this son Isaac. And so God followed through with his promise. He gave him Isaac, but there was this danger that Abraham would begin to value the blessing, Isaac, over the the one who blessed him, God. And so God called him to take Isaac up on a mountain and be willing to sacrifice him. Um, So to, to, to root this idol, this potential idol, out of the heart of Abraham, and I want you to listen to what, what uh, Tozer says about Abraham in, in the pursuit of God on this chapter called, uh, The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. Um, uh, he says, uh, I have said that Abraham possessed nothing, yet was not this poor man rich? Everything he had owned before was still uh, his tilled in joy sheep, camels, herds, and goods of every sort. He had also his wife and his friends, and best of all, he had his son Isaac, safe by his side. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. There is the spiritual secret. There is the sweet theology of the heart, which can be learned only in the school of renunciation. The books on systematic theology overlook this, but the wise will understand. After that bitter and blessed experience, I think the words my and mine never had again the same meaning for Abraham. The sense of possession which they connote, was gone from his heart. Things had been cast out forever. They'd now become external to the man. His inner heart was free from them. The world said Abraham is rich, but the aged patriarch only smiled. He could not explain it to them, but he knew that he owned nothing, that his real treasures were inward and eternal. Do you get what he's saying here? Uh, What he's getting at is that you can have possessions, you can have things in your life that God entrusts you to steward, but they aren't yours. They're not your possessions. He says, my and mine never again had the same meaning. I love that he says, after that bitter and blessed experience. Friends, I hope that, that perhaps that what you're going through right now might be a bitter and blessed experience. It might be a season in which God is teaching you a lesson that will last for the rest of your life, and it might be something that none of us ever chose to enter into, but but if we will grab a hold of it, if we'll take hold of this opportunity to to learn how to live without possessions, man, what a powerful, powerful way to live. And so that's one piece of what God is, is talking about, what Jesus is saying when He says the poor in spirit, but the other piece is maybe even more powerful. And this is what that is, that to be poor in spirit means to, uh, to understand the poverty of our spirit, to recognize that we are not righteous in our own standing, that that my if I'm basing my worth and value on the righteousness of my own spirit, that I come to recognize that it is not sufficient, that it is weak, that, it, that if I'm depending on my goodness to restore a relationship with my creator God, that I recognize that I I'm unable to do that. I'm not good enough. I am poor in spirit. And when you recognize that, when you come to the place where you say, hey, I can't be good enough to be right with God, you are perfectly positioned to enter into the kingdom. Because you say, if I'm not good enough, if I'm, I'm poor in spirit, I need a richness of spirit. And the only place that I can find that is in Jesus Christ. He gives us, He, he gifts us His righteousness. That's what the Bible says happened at the cross, that when he went to the cross, that he died in our place, he took the penalty that we deserved, and because of that, that we who put our faith in him receive the riches that he deserved. The richness of spirit that is Jesus is placed upon us. In fact, it says in the Bible that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our our righteousness, but he says uh, for those who put their faith in Jesus, he says the righteousness of Christ placed upon us. But you can't get to that place until you become poor in spirit, if you're, if you're continuing to rely on your own righteousness, you'll never receive the, the righteousness that Christ wants to give you that is far superior in every way. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is the entry point. This is how you begin to live a life walking with Jesus. There is no other gate. This is like the gateway to the sermon and he's gonna go on to talk about turn the other cheek and he's gonna go on to talk about um, all these things, the the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. All of that is predicated on this, entering in at the gate of being poor in spirit. To begin with that relationship and that need, that desperate need for Jesus. So we move on from, from there into the second uh, which is it's tied so closely to it. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, uh, there's, there's kind of probably at least two layers, but probably far many more layers to this statement. But, but on the one level is this, that, that those who mourn can experience the comfort of God in a way that, that you never would any other way until you've lost something that you valued, until you've lost a loved one, until you've lost a relationship, until you've lost something of great significance and worth, and, and you're in that place of mourning, only then can you know what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and know that Jesus is with you. Now, you. You can't experience His comfort in that sense until you're in that spot. And so this this is a promise for here and now today that if you mourn, that you will be comforted by Jesus. And that's so encouraging. This This blessing is for now. But also, It speaks to this this spiritual layer uh, that we mourn over the effects of sin, that our mourning is tied to, hey, I'm poor in spirit. I recognize that I'm not the person that that I should be, that God made me to be, that my my sin has, has, has hindered me, and I grieve over that. I don't celebrate my poverty of spirit. I mourn over it. It makes me sad. It makes me broken. When I look at the world and I see what's happening right now because of this virus and because of greed and because of selfish ambition, I mourn over that. When I see what's happening in our very own country because of, of racism, right? When, when, when people um, express hatred towards others because of the color of their skin, I mourn over that. Because that's not the kingdom. That's not the way it's meant to be. And, uh, and there's this promise that we will be comforted. Uh, it, it's tied to this idea of repentance that I talked about on Easter Sunday, that, that blessed are those uh, uh, who recognize that they're broken because, uh, because they, they want to turn away from it. It's, it's coming to this place where you say, my way is not working, the world's way is not working, and so I mourn and I grieve and I turn from that and I want something better. And when we do that, when we turn, we find comfort in Jesus. When we begin to really look for an answer for a better way, for something that's superior to my way, and we mourn over the failings uh, of the life that we're pursuing, then we're in a position to turn to Jesus and experience the comfort that only He can bring. The third is this. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, now meek is not weak, and that's, that's a mistake that I think. Sometimes when we think of meek, we think of timid and shy and, 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 and just off in the corner, reserved. That's not Meek is, is controlled strength. To be truly meek is when you have the power to take something by force, but you choose not to do it. Uh, The study Bible uh, uh, of the English Standard Version, uh, it says this, it says, the meek are the gentle, those who do not assert themselves over others in order to further their own agenda in their own strength. He says there's a blessing in being meek because the thing that all those other people are striving for in their strength, that's what you're gonna inherit. All those other people are trying to inherit the world by strength of force, by strength of power, by strength of personality, by strength of giftings. And he says that if you're meek, if you live in a controlled sense of power, the ultimate result is that you will inherit the earth. have been doing a study uh, through James online uh, on Facebook on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, at noon. You can join us. Uh, it's, it's ongoing. And uh, man, James chapter 3 really grabbed me this time. And listen to what it says in James chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. It's this, this, uh, this powerful idea that when you have true wisdom, it's going to show through works of meekness. And it gives this powerful and helpful uh, contrast It says the opposite of working in meekness is to have bitter jealousy and to have selfish ambition. And so this is a really practical way that you can begin to evaluate this today as you apply this truth to your life. Am I living in meekness? Well, here's the question. Are the things that you're doing motivated out of jealousy and ambition? Because that's what we do. Whatever power we have, whether it's physical strength, whether it's intellect, whether it's position, birth position, uh, you know, that you were born in the right country at the right place, in the right time, to the right family, in the right community, that, that all of us have power in different kinds of ways. And how we choose to exert that power. Uh, is really driven out of our motivations. Are they selfish or are they motivated in, in pursuing the things of God? Because when we're pursuing things in the, in the ways of God, again, it comes back to this open-handed living where we say, meekness says, hey, even if I have the power to take that, I'm not going to just take it because I can. I'm going to allow God to dictate what happens. And as I said, the, conne- the promises are connected. Blessed are meek for they will inherit the earth. The thing that all the others are striving for in their strength, the meek will inherit Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Man, this is all about having a desire for, uh, for the things of God. Um, there's so many times, and we've talked about this before, that God's law, God's way uh, is like a fence that protects us. It gives us incredible freedom because when we're living within uh, the boundaries that He's established, that we have freedom and we can have joy and we can experience fullness of life. But the problem for us is so many times we want to know how close we can get to the edge without going over. We want to know, hey, am I, am I at the edge of the boundary? Uh, we want to rationalize something we're doing and say, hey, this isn't really sin, right? Like, this is okay. Like, I'm, I'm close to the edge. I know I'm close, but, but I'm not over the edge, right? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that we're saying, how close can I get to the center? I don't even, I don't even need to know where the edge is because I'm trying to get as close to the heart of God as I can. I want to get to the close to the center. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm thirsty for this. I, I desire it um, in, in the way that I desire food. The alternative is self-righteousness, right, which is like junk food. It's like candy. It's like, uh, I, I, I'm going to, I hunger and thirst for my own righteousness. And it might satisfy me for a few moments. I might get praise from somebody. Somebody might pat me on the back. I might get a few likes uh, on, on my, my socials. But ultimately, it, it dissipates just as quickly and leaves us more hungry. But the promise with when we hunger for and thirst for righteousness is that we'll be satisfied. That when you're hungering and thirsting for the things of God, when you when you get closer to them, when you experience them, they will bring a soul satisfaction. And once again, this is a blessing that is here and now, today, that you can experience and that will carry on into eternity. It's not going to fade away. What are you hungering and thirsting for today? What's the hungers of your heart? I mean, we all have hungers, right? Um, and and so part of part of uh, healthy living is making the right choices there is there's this conflict within us we, we hunger for things that aren't good for us and then we hunger for the things of the Lord and so part of what Jesus is calling us to do is to train ourselves to continue to hunger if, if we if we feast on on God's ways on righteousness uh, we'll learn the satisfaction of it and we'll desire it more and more I don't know if you've ever noticed this the, the more that you eat healthy the more that you desire to eat healthy Uh, if I don't eat McDonald's, uh, for months, I have no desire for it. Even if somebody says, Hey, do you want to go to McDonald's? I'm like, nah, I don't really care. If I break down and if I actually go to McDonald's and I eat there, what do you think I'm thinking about eating the next day (laughs) in the afternoon? I'm like, man, you know, what would be good. Uh, some French fries dipped in a chocolate milkshake. I mean, that's like the world's best combination, right? When you've experienced it. But if you get away from it, if you distance yourself from it, uh, and P.S., then I have a stomachache for the rest of the day, right? It's that, it's that junk that doesn't ultimately satisfy. When you're eating healthy, when you're doing that, and it's the same way spiritually. When you're experiencing the satisfaction of living for God, man, that, that, that satisfies you in a way where the other things just aren't as tempting as they once were. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Uh, I think of mercy as, as not giving someone what they deserve, whereas grace I think of as being giving what somebody what they don't deserve. Jesus does both for us, right? Uh, but uh, but, but when, we re- when we give mercy, the promises that we'll receive mercy, it's embedded into the prayer that we pray, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're inviting God to say, hey, with the mercy that I show, I want you to, to show that same mercy uh, to me. Man, uh, we've been spending a lot of time with family. Right uh, throughout this time that that you're in your household with with whoever it is that that you spend time with, um, and uh, and and or maybe even if you can't physically be with them, you're probably on the phone with them a lot more. You're doing Zoom, FaceTime calls. You're you're connecting, and um, man, family is a great opportunity to show mercy, and it's the place where it's needed the most uh, because uh, but because to, one of the best ways to express love is uh, is to be able to look at someone you care about, you're in a relationship with, and say, man, yeah, like. And you wouldn't say this out loud, right? But, hey, you know what? You didn't have the best of days. You were short-tempered. You were, uh, you were, you were at moments. You, you weren't who you should have been. But you know what? I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm not going to treat you as your actions deserve. I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated. And I'm going to treat you in the way that Jesus has, has treated me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to show you mercy because I believe in the person that, that God is creating you to be. Um, I imagine this is probably what my wife thinks every day uh, in her interactions with me, right? That, and I talk about this, I'll share this at weddings, and man, mercy is one of the best gifts that you can bring into a marriage. Uh, not, to, uh, not to hold your spouse um, continually uh, in this evaluation of like, Hey, you were good today, I'm going to be kind to you. Hey, you didn't have such a good day, so I'm going to hold it. Right? But to just continually show mercy, the mercy of Jesus to one another in our family relationships. And the promise is that if you give it, you'll get it. Blessed are those who are merciful because they're, they're going to receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, to have a pure heart. I, and, and we know that the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who has a pure heart? Is this a blessing that's out there for, for no one? Well, I think when we think about purity in this sense, it's, it's an undivided sense, right? It's, it's like the soap that's 99.9% pure. Uh, that it's not a mixture of a bunch of different things. And the more that our heart is pure, that it's not divided, that it's not a mixture of all these other desires, and I want what God wants, but I want what the world wants, and and I want this and I want that. Uh, But when our heart is pure towards God, the promise is that we're going to see Him. Uh, It's like I said, the more that we move towards the center, say, hey, I want to be right in the center of God's will, God's heart, the more that we do that, the more that we begin to see the world through His eyes and we get to see Him moving in places that we never even realized He was there before. And so there's this incredible immediate blessing of purity in heart. But as I mentioned earlier, that, that God, the Bible promises that when He looks at us, He doesn't see our divided heart. He says, sees the pure heart of Jesus applied to us. That ultimately that's who He's making us to be. And that in eternity that, that our hearts will be actually pure. Man, it's a great thing to hope for. And that, that inspires me to say, like, if that's ultimately the reality that I'm heading towards, it inspires me to live today towards that reality to live with an undivided heart, to to seek, to choose, to follow after God. Is your heart pure or is it divided? And if it's divided, is there things that God's calling you to do today to to end that division, to to, to bring you to the point of choosing? Choose me or choose that, but don't remain in a divided place. Don't be lukewarm in 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 your pursuit of God, but to really pursue Him in a pure way. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We model Jesus well when we make peace with one another. Um, it's this idea of shalom. We've talked about this recently, right? This loving wholeness and community, that, that we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to bring peace uh, into the world, and, and we seek to do that uh, across um, uh, geographic divisions, right? That, uh, that we want peace in the world, we want peace within our nation, uh, that we're called to, uh, to work towards peace but the ultimate peace that we can experience is the peace that Jesus brings uh, as he reconciles us to God, that he's the ultimate peacemaker. And when we speak that peace into people's lives, that's the lasting peace. That's the peace that will make all the difference in the world. I really believe that uh, the strongest hope that we have towards ending this racial division and brokenness that we experience in our country that's been on display in the headlines of the, of the news this past week uh, that, um, that, that, that the real, ultimate, lasting solution of that is, is found in the gospel of Jesus. It's when we're reconciled to the God who created us, that creates the space in which we can be reconciled with one another, and we can have peace with one another. And so I think that we have to tie our efforts towards reconciliation to our efforts towards growing towards Jesus. I really think that they're ultimately so deeply interconnected. And, um, but, but to say, I'm only pursuing the relationship with Jesus, and I don't care about racial reconciliation. I don't care about reconciliation in our nation. Um, it is a false division of them. If you care about being reconciled to God through Jesus, you have to care about being reconciled to our brothers. The two are linked. Uh, but, 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 but the key to it, the power in it, is in the reconciliation that Jesus brings. That brings about all of the other reconciliations flow from that. He ends on, as he began on a kind of unexpected note, he ends on an unexpected note. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you'll notice here, the promise here is the same promise that he began. Blessed are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. This isn't when we're persecuted out of, out of selfish ambition, it's not when we're persecuted because we did something wrong and we're feeling the consequences of it. Even the, what we're going through right now, it's a trial, it's a difficulty, but this is not a persecution for righteousness sake per se. Uh, what Jesus is really talking about here is that when you seek to do the right thing, the world will oppose you. That there will be pushback uh, because the darkness does not want to be exposed to the light. And so if you seek to live uh, your life for Jesus and to profess His truth, there will be times when you are persecuted, when you experience pushback. Um, if, you, if you post on social media uh, truths of Jesus and trying to explain to people that uh, there's going to be people that are going to comment in negative ways, there's going to be people that attack you, that, that that's going to happen. And so part of the challenge for us is to make sure that what we're, what we're doing uh, is, is, is consistent, is whole, Uh, that that if some of your posts are about, hey, Jesus says this and this, and then your other posts are completely worldly, uh, completely selfish, completely uh, there, ultimately what the world is doing then is they're just calling out hypocrisy, which they have every right to do and is a blessing in and of itself, that that if your heart is divided, the world's going to call you out on that. And so if you're going to post about Jesus, if you're going to talk about Jesus to your family and friends, there's a strong call on you to live that example out. Uh, it, it really strongly. And, and that's what he says when he continues on. He says, Blessed are you when, when others revile and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He said, hey, when you, when you suffer for doing the right thing, that can actually be a source of joy for you. Uh, because that's how the prophets suffered. And, and great is your reward in heaven. Um, and so, if it, it, in this world, there will be suffering. There will be struggles and trials. The, the, the key for us is to align ourselves with God and so to make sure, hey, if I'm going to suffer, I want to make sure that I'm suffering for righteousness, not for my unrighteousness, because there's no joy to be found there. But, but if I'm living righteously, even in suffering, I can experience joy. Uh, he calls us to be an example. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, then it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying there what we just discussed, right? That um, you were saved to be an example to the world. And, and let, let me explain this, friends, that, uh, that your good works... Uh, demonstrate the goodness of God but your good works don't begin until where we began today when you experience uh, the poorness of spirit. When you recognize that you are impoverished spiritually and that you need a Savior and you mourn and, 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 and you feel sorrow over that and you turn to Jesus and you ask Him to save you, that's when the good works begin. As Zach preached a couple of weeks ago out of John, that, that um, we have to abide in Jesus. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. There is no good work until we begin to abide in Jesus. And so we don't do good works to, uh, to try and earn God's favor, to make Him love us, to, to earn salvation. But rather, we enter into salvation through Jesus, and that leads us to good works that are a display to the world of who God is, and it ultimately brings glory to Him. If you're trying to evaluate whether something you're doing is a good work here's the question who gets the glory is it Jesus or is it you a lot of it comes out of our our heart motivation am I doing this because I want God to love me or because I already know that he loves me when you live out of that motivation you have no problem making sure that God gets the glory for all of the things that you do so the question for us is man how do we live this way how do we do this and I would say two things and they're both tied to Jesus one, is that the power to live this way comes from Jesus. That we don't have the power to live in this way, this blessed way, unless Jesus is living within us and living through us. And so the power comes from Him, but also the example of what this looks like to live this perfectly also comes from Jesus. Let's think about it. Who, who, who experienced, who, who, who demonstrated poverty of spirit more than, more than Jesus? Jesus knew the blessedness of possessing nothing. He, he didn't have any possessions. Uh, he didn't have wealth. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. Uh, but yet Jesus was, was rich, right? That, that he didn't hold on to things. He didn't have earthly possessions. And, and it also says in the Bible from the spiritual sense that he, did not, he, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on, and yet he came in humility in, in the form of a man to live amongst us. It's a picture of, of, of beginning to... Uh, to enter into that, that poorness of spirit, even though we know he was perfect and so there was no poverty in Jesus' spirit in and of itself. Jesus mourned for the effects of sin. He, he cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He cried over the city of Jerusalem. He was grieved deeply in his heart over the behavior of the Pharisees and the rejection uh, of the people of, 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 of his message. Um, Jesus mourned over the effects of sin. It says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, so Jesus mourned. Is there anyone who was more meek than Jesus? The most powerful man to ever live, and yet he continually moved forward out of meekness. He, he never did things selfishly. He never used his power for his own gain and benefit. In fact, when, the, when Satan tempted him to just turn a rock into a piece of bread when he was hungry, he refused. He would not do that. Jesus is our perfect example of meekness. Uh, Jesus is, is our perfect example of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, that he always desired to do the Father's will. And, and the example with the woman at the well is the perfect example. He was thirsty and he asked her to get him a drink and, and, and yet quickly turned the conversation towards her thirst and her need for a real relationship with her Creator. And so much so that when the disciples came and brought him food, he was like, Jesus, aren't you going to eat? And he's like, no, I have food and drink that you don't know about. He experienced the satisfaction of, of doing righteousness. And so that, that, um, that, that, that was what he truly hungered and thirsted for. Uh, That that Jesus uh, was incredibly merciful, right? He is our picture of mercy. Uh, That that Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That he showed mercy to his enemies and he showed uh, mercy to you and I when we were enemies of him and, and he loved us enough to give us what we didn't deserve and not to give us what we did deserve. So Jesus is our perfect picture of mercy. He's our, our picture of purity of heart, that, that his allegiance was complete to the Father, that he never did what he wanted, but he always did what the Father told him to do, that he had purity and an undivided heart towards God the Father. And he's the ultimate peacemaker. He is truly a peacemaker in, which way, in a way which we will never be because he literally brought peace between our creator God and, and us, his creation, that he is... Uh, the, 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 he is peace itself, that Jesus is peace. Um, and, and so, he, he, when we want to be a peacemaker, we look to the example that He gives us. And, and ultimately, was anyone persecuted and reviled more than Jesus for living a perfect and righteous life? And so, if Jesus lived perfectly and He was, and he was, he was um, rejected and He was despised and He was ultimately beaten and He was ultimately crucified for that righteousness, that we understand that that is, at times, that is the path that we will walk as well when we walk with Him. We can't, we can't do any better than to look to Jesus, both as our example and as our power to do this. And so my hope is today for you that, uh, that, that you see this clear picture that the blessing isn't something we just have to cross our fingers and hope and wish and throw a penny in the fountain, right? That, that's not what blessing is. Blessing is something that Jesus lays out a roadmap for us to pursue. He says, if you want to be blessed by God, here's how you do it. So if you're a disciple, if you've drawn near to hear what Jesus has to say, my hope is that you will grab a hold of it today and that you will walk closer to Him in His power. And and if you're here and you entered as part of the crowd and you've walked closer and, and Jesus is tugging on your heart today and if that's where you're at, you know it. You feel it. I just want to invite you that the Bible says that today, today you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you do this by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you will be saved. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's where you're at today, I want to give you the chance to pray to receive salvation right here, right now, in this moment. There's nothing magical about the words I'm going to say, but it's the the, the position of your heart that is significant. And so I invite you right there where you're at, just bow your head and say these words along with me. Heavenly Father, I recognize that, uh, that I'm spiritually impoverished. I recognize my righteousness is not good enough. And I mourn over that. But I celebrate today that Jesus died in my place. As the perfect Son of God, He took my penalty. And He rose from the grave. And because of that, I believe He's offering me forgiveness. And so with joy, I grab a hold of that today. I receive your forgiveness, God. I repent of my sin. I turn towards you. And I ask you to teach me how to walk with you from now until the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, if that was your prayer today, we celebrate with you. The angels are celebrating in heaven. I would just ask one favor, that you would let us know what God is doing. Uh, Send send us an email, riverside at riversideconnect.com. The email address is going to be on the screen. We would love to celebrate what God is doing, to hear your story. It will bring us so much joy. And also to be able to begin to walk alongside you and help you figure out how to keep walking every day with Jesus. I thank you so much for joining us today. May God bless you. And may you choose to pursue his blessings as you go forth today.